a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. This week, we are continuing our candidate conversation series for Utah's Republican Gubernatorial Convention coming up on April 25th. We're extending invitations to all the candidates for governor and their running mates for lieutenant governor to be on our podcast to discuss their policy positions and why they are the best choice to lead the state's government. Joining us on this episode is Republican State Senator Deirdre Henderson. She is a a running mate for current Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. Thank you very much for joining us, Senator. Thanks for having me here. Um, and we should say that um, we talked to Lieutenant Governor Cox. Also, he's uh, sort of busy right now. He's dealing with the, he's heading the task force on the coronavirus issues. And um, and and I also thought it would be a great opportunity just to get to know you a little bit better, Senator Henderson. So thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. All right. So we'll- if you wouldn't mind, can you just kind of give us a little bit about yourself and you know your background and how you came to uh, be in this position to run as a Spencer Cox is uh, running mate for lieutenant governor. Yeah, thank you. So I, I'm a Utah state senator. As, as you mentioned, I live in Spanish Fork and I represent South Utah County in the Utah Senate. And I was elected in 2012. So I have been uh, in this position for, this is my eighth year. Uh, we just finished up my eighth legislative session. Um, and it's been, it's been a really great experience to represent um, the people of my Senate district in, in the Utah Senate. Um, I got started in politics in 2008. Uh, My youngest child had started school um, in in the fall of 2007. And and, um, like, I don't know, maybe probably a lot of moms, I was, I have five kids. And and as my youngest started school, I was uh, thinking that I really wanted to get more involved in the community, but I didn't really know what that looked like. And I ended up um, meeting, just kind of coincidentally meeting Jason Chaffetz, who was running for Congress against a 12-year incumbent at the time, and I had never met him before. I didn't know who he was. I didn't follow BYU football to that degree, and so I, I but I met him, and I, I really liked him in January of 2008. He was looking for volunteers to make phone calls on his campaign, so I volunteered. I'd never been to a convention before. I'd never been a delegate. I didn't even know what a delegate was at the time. <laughs> I'd always voted in primary elections, but I had five kids in eight years, and I'd spent 13 years, you know, wiping noses and bottoms, and that was pretty much all I, I had, had had time for in my life, and, and I hadn't gotten further involved than that, and so um, I was able to uh, become a delegate that year and participate in the in the convention and we ended up um we had a grew this really great big political operation of a thousand volunteers for the for the Chaffetz campaign that year we were all unpaid 
Um, we were all pretty much uh, political neophytes. We didn't really know what we were doing, but we we all worked together, and I, you know, we we got a lot of support, and we ended up winning the primary election pretty significantly that year. And I ended up working that year for Frey, became his political director, and then after he was elected in November, I became his campaign manager. And I ran his political operation essentially from my laundry room in Spanish Fork for four years. And then um, uh, in 2012, there was an open Senate seat down here in South Utah County. They had just done redistricting um, after the 2010 census. And we got a new Senate seat, an open Senate seat down in my neck of the woods. And so I, you know, because of the, the experience that I had gotten uh, for the few previous years working with uh, Jason Chaffetz and getting involved in politics that way, I felt like I was prepared uh, to take that step and run for the Senate. And so I did. I threw my hat in the ring and I won and and have been uh, serving the people of South Utah County in the Senate ever since. So let me let me just uh, read what uh, Lieutenant Governor Cox said when he um invited well when he announced that you were going to be his running mate uh, he said she is a tremendous leader a consistent conservative and unafraid of doing what is right for the people she serves with her proven ability to lead communities during challenging times abby and i are confident we have found the perfect partner for the uncertainty that lies ahead i don't think anyone anticipated the type of uncertainty <laughs> that we would be facing what right. has it been like to join the campaign and then essentially I mean, you're you're basically running the campaign, right? Yes, it's it's been really interesting. So I was up for re-election this year. This would have been my mm -hmm. my re-election to my third term in the Senate, um, and I had filed for re-election. Uh, and then the day after I filed for re-election, uh, Spencer and Abby invited my husband Gabe and me to come down to Fairview, and so we went down and and um, and they you know invited us to to join them in this endeavor, and it was. It was a pretty big decision for me um, uh, to to give up my Senate seat. Um, I didn't want to play games with uh, the, my constituents are, are very dear to me and I care very deeply about them and I did not want to play games with them. And so I, I, I made it clear that I would have to make a, a quick decision and, and let someone else, you know, other people have time to step in to, to run for this seat. And so um, it, you know, Gabe and I made that decision um, because I think that Spencer is the right person for the job. I wouldn't have given my Senate seat up for for anybody else um, in, that's in the race. If if anybody else would have asked me, I and you know, I I can't see myself giving that up for anybody else because I do believe that Spencer is the right person for the job. And it's been interesting because he's been, you know, there are a lot of days where I don't get to talk to Spencer. He's he, he spends every waking moment right now. Um, leading the state's coronavirus task force and, and making sure that we have not only public safety, but we've got, uh, or public health, um, but, but that we've got a response and a plan to um, help our economy. And, and so it's, it's been a big job for him and for the others in the state who are leading that effort. So I've been happy to step in and, and do what I can. Um, and the delegates and the, and the voters that I've been talking to have been really, really receptive and really kind uh, to, to, to talk to me instead of Spencer. They've been very understanding. You know, for you, I mean, this, this is a big opportunity for both of you, actually, because this gives you a chance to become the true uh, kind of the policymakers for the state. And uh, I was wondering, does that, does that seem overwhelming to you at any little, uh, at any point uh, to say that this is really what we're undertaking? Well, you know, right now we're going through such unprecedented times. I think it, 
it can be overwhelming for any anybody in a position of leadership right now. And I, I still am in the state Senate and, and we are um, the Senate and the House. We're working on legislation for a special session uh, to, to deal with uh, a lot of the issues that we, we need to deal with in order to, to get through this crisis. Um, and it can be, it can be overwhelming, but I think that the sign of a true leader is someone who understands that they don't have all the answers and that they can give people around them that, that maybe have that perspective and that expertise that they lack. And I, and I think that that's the sign of a true leader. So as we gather people around us to try to help us move through this crisis together and solve these problems, um, I'm confident that Utah will find a way to do that. When we come back, we'll uh, can talk to you more about your policy positions. And right now we're having a candidate conversation with Republican State Senator Deirdre Henderson, who is the running mate for Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox as they run for governor and lieutenant governor of the state in the upcoming gubernatorial convention later here this month. You're listening to Voices of Reason. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. This week, we're having another candidate conversation in our series, and this is for Utah's Republican Gubernatorial Convention coming up later. Today, we're speaking with Utah State Senator Deirdre Henderson, who is the running mate for Utah, Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, and she is running to be uh, the uh, lieutenant governor in our state. I wanted to ask you here, uh, Senator, you know, we're in this this whole COVID outbreak, this, uh, this crisis, and we certainly recognize the health impacts that it's having on our state and literally around the country and around the world. I wanted to get your ideas, though, on the, the, the economic impact it's having, because it's, I would say, equally as uh, significant as, as the health uh, situation. What can we do to kind of get ourselves through this and then go to a point where we uh, find ourselves in the strong economy we had before this all started? Well, you're right. This economic piece is something that is very troubling to a lot of Utahns. Um, and the people that I talk to are uh, they, they understand that we, we have to do uh, some difficult things in order to ensure public health and to make sure that we don't overwhelm our hospital systems um, and, and uh, lose people because they weren't able to get the, the hospital care and treatment that they needed. Um, but this economic piece is is very concerning. It's very troubling. Um, we've we've got some you know infusions of cash from the federal government, and that's good. The legislature will come back in in special session and and deal with some budgetary issues here uh, at at home, um, and that will be good as well. Uh, but one thing that you know that I think that's really important for the people of Utah to to 
have, you know, take comfort in is that, that their leaders understand how to get through the crisis. They've got leaders who've been in the trenches uh, for many years, who've been through the good times, who know how to lead and get us back to those good times. Um, we, as a Cox Henderson administration, we've got some priorities that we want to make sure that we put into place as soon as we, um, you know, as, as soon as we're elected and, and sworn into office. Um, and that is, we've got to return our economy to the best in the nation that it was before this crisis. And we know the recipe for success. We've done this before, and we will do it again. And that means keeping taxes low. That means, uh, you know, uh, empowering the private sector uh, to unleash their innovation by, by cutting government regulation and red tape. We're not one government program away from prosperity in the state of Utah. And Utahns understand that. They understand um, that private sectors where, it, where it's at, our small businesses, um, need to be able to thrive. And, and it's really been inspiring for me to see uh, the shared sacrifice that we're all facing right now. Um, crisis can really bring out the best or the worst in people. And I've just been really heartened as I've seen uh, Utah's response to the crisis. And, and the Utahns uh, are, are overwhelmingly uh, stepping up to the challenge and and responding in a, in a great way, um, we'll return to normal eventually. And I hope that, that, that it's sooner than later. Um, but things will get better. And I've been really heartened to see the way uh, Utahns have stepped up to handle this challenge. Senator, I, I had a question for you about, uh, I've heard a few people mention this in, in, in talking. I've been doing some interviewing with uh, small business owners, as has Jason, um, that they don't know that they can survive more than a month or two of being completely shut down. And I just wonder, um, I read something the other day about how some of the manufacturing jobs that we lost during the depression, we never got back to those. And I wondered if that was not just about, um, you know, people not being able to recover, if it wasn't also about the evolution of business. And I wonder if there's things you've seen um, I, I've been constantly amazed at people's creativity, um, their initiative, uh, their generosity. Um, are there things you're seeing that maybe when we come out of this, I do think there are going to be some really painful aspects of it, but that, that, you know, the creativity might push us in a good, in an even more positive direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. It will. So when I say we're, we're, we're going to get back to normal, we'll get through this. It, it, it'll, we'll be back to a, to a good place, but things might look a little bit different. As you mentioned, um, I think that, uh, Americans are so good at innovating and so good at adapting to challenges and the way that they're adapting and that we're all adapting right now will definitely shape how things look in the future. Um, I can think of one specific example right now, even in, in government. Uh, we've been looking as a legislature for years, we've been trying to do these rural um, economic development opportunities with telework and whatnot, and it's expensive. And, and we pass bills every year, or we, we at least try to pass bills to do this, and, and they always get pared back or watered down because they're so expensive. Well, we've all been forced to figure it out in the last few weeks, right? This mm -hmm. telework. And and I think that's one way um, that, that I think will actually help us, especially in rural Utah, to be able to have economic opportunities in rural Utah with the telework, I don't, I don't know that we're going to get back to the way we were 100 percent of the, um, the way we were before. Um, I think that uh, there, there will be the workplace might might look a little bit different in in some really good ways. Well, and we we sort of already we did that a little bit by saying who was essential and who was not essential. We joke now about 
are you really essential? <laughs> Apparently, we're not essential. <laughs> You're not. Well, I, you know, I, I think everyone's essential if it's putting food on their table, right? They're, they're, they're essential to. It's essential to them, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I guess it would be good to have a, a government job right now, or to work in a bank, or you know, somewhere mm-hmm. where that has to stay open. Um, but, but those of us who don't, will will figure things out. I mean, my husband and I are small business owners too, and we're in the same boat as everybody else. We're struggling to get through this, and and worried about how we're gonna how we're gonna make ends meet in the meantime, and make payroll in the meantime. So, um, you know, we're all in this together. Typically, we, we kind of go for this, and uh, I only have about a minute and a half. I don't want to uh, ask you a huge question. However, I do want to start talking to you about uh, education since it's such a big deal here. You know, when we when we look at uh, Utah, one of the things we always say is that we, we're well-managed. and But the one thing we also say sometimes is we don't pay our teachers enough and that yeah. we don't spend enough money on helping each child have, you know, the, the, the kind of quality education they might be able to have. Do you think you have some ideas on how you might be able to address that? Well, Spencer and I are both really passionate about public education. I actually chair the Senate Education Committee right now. Uh, This topic is a priority for our administration, and we do have some specific ideas. Um, We think that school grading and and high-stakes testing should be eliminated, and it's really interesting because I, I ran a bill this past legislative session to get rid of school grading for this year and next year, or well, actually for last school year and this school year, um, because we had the big, you know, fiasco with our with our testing last year, and it was just a mess, and we didn't want to grade schools based on faulty, you know, potentially faulty data, and so we, we passed that, um, and and we're we're going to need to, uh, you know, tweak that again in a special session, I think, to get rid of this these high stakes testing and everything. Some of these things that are handed down from from the top. Uh, either from federal mandates or state mandates on education, that's just really not the best way to have a good, solid, robust education system where teachers in the classroom are empowered and and enjoy their job. Um, We need a bottom-up approach to education, uh, not a top-down approach. And Spencer and I are both very committed to that. Um, We're committed to looking at some of these uh, heavy state regulations and, and streamlining. In fact, I'm working on that. This interim is streamlining some of these uh, reporting requirements and, and regulations for um, for schools and and seeing where we can taper some of those back and where we can streamline and, and really get as much as possible, get the government out of the classroom so that, that teachers can enjoy teaching. Um, we do need to pay our teachers more. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that Utah, you know, we, we get bashed for being the bottom of, you know, kind of the bottom of the barrel in terms of per pupil spending, but we do spend a significant portion of our budget on education. So we do value education, but we can definitely do better. Thank you for answering that. We, what we'll do is when we come back, we'll ask some more about some priorities and hopefully get to know a little bit more about State Senator Deirdre Henderson, who's going to be the running mate for Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox as they run in the state gubernatorial convention coming up later this month. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee with Amy Donaldson. We are continuing our candidate conversation series for Utah's Republican Gubernatorial Convention coming up in on April 25th. And today we're speaking with 
Utah State Senator Deirdre Henderson. She is running with uh, Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. They are trying to <clears throat> become the next governor and lieutenant governor for the state of Utah. And uh, we started, uh, we ended the last segment uh, having uh, Senator Henderson talk a bit about uh, education and some of those priorities. Mm-hmm. And Amy wanted to do a little follow-up. Yeah, I guess my question is, um, again, it's, I think the coronavirus crisis and the precautions that we took in shutting down schools has revealed um it has revealed a lot of uh, issues and inequities. Um, I think there are some places like I re- in San Juan County where they had to, the teachers are having to take paper packets. They're also cooking. <laughs> they're doing a lot of, they're wearing a lot of hats, which is pretty standard for rural Utah. And then um, you have people though on the Wasatch Front who don't have access to computers or technology, uh, even just basic internet. Um, I, I've seen some really creative solutions like school districts taking buses that have a Wi-Fi and parking them so that kids could do their homework. But what what have you learned about the inequities and how you might address those from this the precautions and the, and the crisis? Well, so, I mean, you bring up a really good point. This crisis has opened our eyes to see things that were there that maybe we didn't really see before. It's kind mm-hmm. of a, drawn back the curtain a little bit. And I think that we're we're all going to have to take a step back and assess that and figure out how we're going to handle that. I really applaud the school districts and, and the charter schools who are looking at those inequities and doing their best to solve those problems. Um, we will be addressing some of these issues, uh, education issues during the upcoming um, special session as well. And um, I really... I really rely on our education community, the teachers and the, and this uh, superintendents in, in my district um, from the state board of education to help us as a legislature, see what those needs are and what needs special legislation, what needs special funding. I think that we probably will see an uptick in, in schools uh, prioritizing um, access to, uh, to computers and things like that for their students um, but man, I really applaud the teachers who overnight really had to just come up with a whole new way of teaching and, and figure out how to put everything online and give access to their students. And it, it's been, I know it's been difficult for everybody. It's been difficult for me now to suddenly, you know, have to homeschool my daughter. And um, I know that all the other parents are in my same situation, mm-hmm. um, but it's been incredible to see really what it's shown me is the the really the, the can-do spirit of the people of Utah. Senator, what do you think about um, the tax, the idea of tax reform? I mean, I think we're going to, it's going to be an interesting discussion to have in the wake of dealing with the economic impact of the coronavirus crisis. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really, really glad that that got repealed. I've, I voted against the tax reform bill from December. I, I didn't, there were a lot of pieces of it I really didn't like. And, um, and especially raising uh, f- food taxes on Utah families. I mean, I, I'm so glad right now um, in this time of, of economic downturn that Utah families aren't having to pay more in taxes on their food. Um, but we do have a structural problem with our state budget that needs to be addressed. Um, we did pass a piece of legislation during the last uh, days of the legislative session that would put the question on the ballot for people of Utah to, to allow us to um, use 
education money, which is our income tax, 100% of our income tax in our state constitution is earmarked for education. And to open that up to allow us to use that funding also for people with disabilities and the children's health insurance program, um, which would give us uh, a little bit of budget flexibility that we do need. If we can get that budget flexibility, we will not have to raise taxes. We will not have to tax more services or, you know, expand the tax base in any way. Um, and we really, uh, Senator Ann Milner really spearheaded that effort and worked with the superintendents, the PTA, the UEA, the State Board of Education, with all of the stakeholders. Um, and they they came up with a, a plan that they think will work for everybody where we can have some more budget flexibility, but also put into statute some protections for education so that there's some certainty there with how we're going to fund growth in education. What's your gut reaction as far as people's willingness to kind of think outside the box? I mean, I think everybody's in a different place today than they were four months ago. Right. Well, I, you know, I think when we, we have the education community on board with this idea, and I think that really helps. Mm -hmm. And I really do hope that the people of Utah can see that this is a good solution um, to to a problem that we do have, a very real problem that we have in our state budget. Um, and, and if we have the support of educators and, um, you know, then I, I, I hope that that helps. I hope that that gets the message out there that we're all on board with this and that we need, we need this flexibility. I have one more question on the, what about healthcare? Because I do think that's the other thing. I think there's a couple of things that have been revealed by the coronavirus issues and one of them also is healthcare because there was a real issue about people needing to get tested and then being worried about what that test would cost. Do you has that changed your opinion on insurance issues or healthcare issues at all? You know, this is it's an ongoing issue that we've we've had forever, and I I don't know that we'll ever totally solve it. I, I hope we can someday, but I've been heartened to see. Um, you know, to see people step up and to say, you know what, we're not going to charge our, our patients for uh, these tests. Um, it, it is a problem. Healthcare services and especially pre prescription medications have always been a, a problem lately. I mean, just it, you look at the price of insulin and that's gone up many, many times over the past few years. I don't know that we've totally solved, you know, these, the problems with this crisis. And I don't know that we will, that solutions are really coming very soon, but I think it at least is helping us see um, that we do need to be better partners and that maybe um, we need to make sure that we uh, take care of those who are not, you know, underinsured or not insured. Um, Utah did expand Medicaid a couple of years ago. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we've got some, uh, we've made some strides there uh, with, with helping cover the gap of people who aren't insured, but um, it, you know, it is a problem. Even people who do have insurance, the insurance premiums are, are expensive and, and maybe they're um, out of pocket. Their deductibles are huge. And so mm -hmm. it, sometimes even having insurance isn't necessarily a big help. I know in a situation like this, what I always worried about is uh, kind of the recovery. And, and, I, and I don't want to ask you right now because we uh, we're about to run out of time in this segment. But what I want to do when we come back is ask you a bit about how um, economically speaking, how are we going to generate revenue when we right now, because we ha have this uh, coronavirus and there's not as much uh, production being made, not people not going to their jobs, money not being spent in the economy, taxes not being collected. How are we going to recover from that in a way that's going to prevent you from being able to have to ask people to pay more in taxes? I just I wonder if that's a, a possibility in the future. 
When we come back, we'll uh, continue our discussion with State Senator Deirdre Henderson. And you're listening to Voices of Reason. Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, continuing our candidate conversation series for Utah's Republican gubernatorial convention coming up later this month. Today, we're speaking with Republican State Senator Deirdre Henderson. She is the running mate of current Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. They are running to replace Gary Herbert uh, in the uh, as a chief executive, chief political executive of the state of Utah. And Senator, I, you had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, kind of talking about this whole COVID situation, and Amy asked you about uh, taxes and tax reform. What I, I'm concerned about, uh, at least, you know, in the uh, short term, we are losing lots of money now and people aren't working. Uh, there's not as much spending going on in our economy. How are we going to be able to how, how might we be able to make up some of the money that we're losing because we're having to stay home and, and kind of avoid uh, making our health crisis even worse? It's a really good question, and uh, and we are going to have to make, the legislature is going to have to make some difficult budget decisions. The good news, if, there's, if there is a little bit of good news in all of this, is um, we have been really prudent, I think, as a legislature over the past several years. Uh, unlike the federal government, uh, Utah has a constitutional mandate to balance our budget. So we have a balanced budget every single year. And we've, and we've seen some surpluses, some pretty hefty surpluses in recent years. And what we haven't spent all of that surplus, um, there's two types of money that come into the state. There's, there's ongoing money and there's one-time money. And what we've done um, is not only build up our rainy day funds, which, um, you know, as, as much as we want to pat ourselves on the back for our rainy day fund, it's clear that there's, it's still not big enough. Um, but rainy day fund money is one-time money and you can't spend one-time money on ongoing projects. But what we have done is we've taken surplus ongoing money and we've put it into one-time projects like buildings, like the prison, like um, buildings at our universities. And so uh, we've been very prudent. So what we can do now, and we, we, we can actually utilize that ongoing revenue um, that we put into one-time funding, we can actually pull it out and use it as kind of a working rainy day fund to help cover some budget gaps. So we can actually borrow money now to pay for some of those buildings and things and take that money out um, and use that ongoing money to help cover the gaps. So we we will be having these difficult decisions coming um, in, in the next few weeks, I think, here as a state and, and actually beyond. Um, but that'll at least help uh, because of our foresight and, and the things that we planned for, we planned for these contingencies. We've actually been planning as a legislature, we've been planning for an economic downturn for the past few years. So we're in a bit better of shape than, than we otherwise would have been. So uh, we, we like to, um, to get to know people in a, in a, I don't know, I guess in a little bit more substantial way. Um, do you have a mentor or somebody that you look up to that shaped, uh, you know, who you became in life? Um, well, so I, I have this maternal grandmother. She died in 1999, um, but she she was uh, growing up 
Um, I, you know, I remember everybody was a little bit worried about grandma Harward because she really liked Rush Limbaugh. Now I grew up in the eighties. And so this was back when Rush Limbaugh was, he was on TV at the time. And I remember I had a lot of family members who were really worried about grandma uh, because she watched Rush Limbaugh on TV, but she was the sweetest woman in the world. And um, we didn't talk politics in my house at all. So I talked politics with my grandma and uh, and she was actually, you know, just the kindest person I've ever known. She never said anything mean about anybody. And she really shaped a lot of, of who I became. Thank you. That's awesome. So do you have a, a like a hobby or something you do when, when you're when you're not being a politician and trying to you know save all of us from ourselves? What do you do for uh, to kind of, you know, enjoy yourself and just have, uh, you know, some time to yourself? I love reading. Um, I'm, I'm kind of nerdy. I love history. So I read a lot of history. I le- read a lot of biographies. I also really like to cook. Um, I can jam every year and I have, I have some, uh, peach and plum trees in my yard and I always make really, really amazing jam if I do say so myself. And, <laughs> and then we, we, we just enjoy it, you know, until it runs out and we ha- and we do it all over again the next year. But I, I love to cook and I love to read. Do you, do you have um, or have you had an experience or some challenges in your life that you think uh, shaped you or maybe put you on a path that you didn't expect to be on? Well, you know, I I got married really young. Um, I did what I mocked other people for doing, which was to get married after my freshman year at BYU. And, um, and then I had, you know, I, I dropped out of school and I worked two jobs to try to help get my husband through physical therapy school. I had five babies in eight years. And then I spent 13 years, um, you know, raising, raising them. Uh, I mean, I'm still raising them, but you know, that, that was really all I could handle. And, and I always felt really bad about, um, not finishing college. And so uh, I started chipping away at classes here and there, and it was, it's just been a real struggle. So 27 years later, uh, that's how old I am. 27 years later, <laughs> I still haven't finished college, but last year I, I started back at BYU full time and mm-hmm. I, by golly, I am bound and determined to get that dang degree if it's the last thing I do. And so it, it was something when I got elected to the Senate that I was really ashamed about. Like, I was so ashamed every time I would hear people say, oh, women are just not graduating from college in Utah, and it's a real problem, and what are we going to do about it? And I would just want to shrink in my chair and think, I hope nobody ever finds this out about me. And then I decided, you know what, there are a lot of women and probably even some men in my situation who had to put their family first and for various reasons, um, weren't able to finish and really want to finish. And I'm just going to stop being ashamed of this. I'm going to stop uh, being afraid that people will find out and and I'm going to embrace it. So that's kind of one of the things that I've done. And, and I have loved going back. I'm a much better student now than I was when I was 18. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how much better you are as a student when you get older? You, time management's different. Your whole perspective about stuff. You're not distracted. Yes. I just, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Going back to school as an adult, though it is difficult, it is. It was way better than when I was a kid. It uh, is extremely difficult. Uh, you have a favorite uh, TV show or a, a favorite book? Well, I don't really watch a lot of TV, except I love, I love like Victoria. Okay, so I do. When you talk about TV, like the Amazon Prime mm-hmm. stuff or the Netflix. Yeah. So I love The Crown. I love Victoria because I'm a history buff. I, I'm kind of a nerd. Um, I love anything David McCullough, Ron Chernow, mm-hmm. uh, 
David McCullough's Harry Truman, or his Truman book was just fantastic. I went to Harry S. Truman Elementary and I'm a Republican and Truman was a Democrat, but he was a really good guy. He was a good person. Mm-hmm. And and uh, anyway, so I love stuff like that. And lastly, why should why should voters support you and Lieutenant Governor Cox? Well, I think especially right now, um, we need to elect a, a governor and lieutenant governor who have been in the trenches here in the state uh, during the past decade. We, Spencer and I both have been here uh, working on behalf of the state, getting to know the issues and the people here. We both rolled up our sleeves. Um, and I think that we need to, continuity. We need leadership. And we've both demonstrated that. Um, Spencer and I both believe that the most important purpose of government is, is to protect the rights and freedoms of its citizens. That's like the fundamental purpose of government. And we're both very committed to that. And I, you know, I hope that people will, will vote for us. Uh, we've worked hard. Um, we, I think Spencer is um, an incredible leader. He is someone with incredible integrity. And right now it's really easy to, uh, to, to, be, to, to hear all of the vitriol in politics but Spencer's not like that. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate appreciate about him um, is that he he rises above the, the pettiness that we sometimes see and hear in politics. And he's just a truly good person with deep conservative principles um, who's, who just acts the way he believes. And, and I appreciate that about him. Well, listen, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank and- you. Best of luck to you and uh, Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox on uh, your your chance to uh, and your campaign to run for governor. Thank you. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at vrjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at vorpodcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show, and we'd love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.